Good morning, Wastelanders. This is Streaming Wasteland. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Streaming Wasteland. Streaming Wasteland. Streaming Wasteland. I'm Greg. Hi, Greg. And with me always... And Ringo. With me always is Ringo. Hi, Ringo. Yeah, we should probably talk about this movie. This movie is terrible. Say, say we both recommend this movie. I would say skip this movie. Yeah, don't watch this. Worst plot I've ever seen. This movie had some interesting twists and turns that I, I definitely enjoyed. You know what they say, once you're 18, monsters are your problem. The creature that we're dealing with is called the Dark Mother. Yeah. I just called her Dear Mommy. Do you want to go mm-hmm. ahead and jump back in? Alright, we should probably dive into this. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Streaming Land. I'm Greg, and with me always is Ringo. Say hi, Ringo. Hi, Ringo. This week we're taking a look at 2018's How It Ends on Netflix. Before we dive into that, what you been up to this week, Ringo? Oh, shit, man. I watched 2021 How It Ends. Oh, you fucked up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just I thought this, and- was, this was the end. When you <laughs> sent it to me, I was like, I don't remember putting that movie on our list. I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen it too. I guess I'll watch it again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm over here making apocalypse jokes like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> About the X-Men character? Yeah. I wish that movie was better, the apocalypse movie, because he's a cool character. But, yeah. you know, they the movie, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was weak, but it certainly wasn't good. It- and I think that, you know, it just kind of suffers from, at that point, everybody expected every movie to be an MCU style movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, you, you know, they have these bad guys that we know, Magneto, for instance. Mm-hmm. So Magneto's not really that difficult to go ahead and create a character around because that character has already been fleshed out for the most part. Apocalypse, they actually have to take from the source material. And for whatever reason, they did. I don't think they pulled enough, in my opinion. Yeah, because, I can yeah. see that. That being well, said, also, he's a hard character to just generalized right so because he's kind of like x-men thanos right and the thanos that we saw in infinity war saga but that's his whole thing is that he wants the apocalypse because that's who he is but x-men's already wild like that where half the characters are mutants half of them have magic amulets that give them powers or they've been blessed by gods it's the wildest universe i wish that they would just focus and make an x-men cinematic universe and then get eight movies in and then make one movie where everybody just dies because we don't we don't know guys there's (laughs) so much going on so we just kept it true to the x-men universe and killed everyone that would be awesome there's so many characters that have died in the x-men universe that it's just it's ridiculous everybody's on like their 19th iteration Mm -hmm. and i I will give credit to the authors and kind of stewards behind the x-men universe they've really got the art of what makes a character a character or what makes a specific character their character down because it would be real easy to be like oh and this time wolverine's a peace-loving hippie right if you really wanted to change it up he doesn't have claws he shoots flowers you know or something like that but they don't do that they're very good at boiling down these are the things that people expect from from wolverine from cyclops from Jean gray and then when they reboot these characters they tweak them just a little you know like maybe Cyclops is a bit more aggressive, or maybe his eye beams function in a certain way. Maybe Jean Grain, Jean Grain, wow, Jean Grey loses a certain power or gains an ability that she didn't have. So it changes it just enough. And to that, I give him credit. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you, when Scott goes ahead and becomes a little bit more aggressive, I I've always appreciated when he's no longer kind of a, a pushover and allows Wolverine to go ahead and just walk all over him. 
Yeah, it did. It's super annoying in the animated show. Yeah, I've been rewatching a little bit of that, and it is, it's really obnoxious. Also, I remember the voices being a lot better when I was a kid, but Gambit's accent is terrible, and (laughs) Wolverine's voice is actually kind of grating. It's very nasally. He's up here in the register, like, "Oh yeah, bub, I'll fight you," and you're just like, "What? What are you?" And then more half of his lines are, (laughs) and you're like, "Oh my god, what is happening in this show?" Now you're, you're really making me want to go ahead and uh, watch that again. <laughs> I will say it's pretty funny that Master Bowl got taken out by an extension cord. That's the one of the best deaths you could have. It's like, this is our super sentry who prints other sentries. And then they flood the base and it can't get away because he's still plugged in. <laughs> Man, that's going to be how I go out. The Whatever building they've got me hooked up to a life support is going to go underwater for some reason. No, no, no. You might have seen a vision like that, but what's going to happen is you're finally going to get convinced. No, you need a long, relaxing bath and then boom, nine toasters. That seems like the same dream. Oh, well, then, yeah, that's it's not a vision. It's just, it's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to go ahead and answer your, your prior question, I convinced my wife to go ahead and watch Beef with me, which I enjoyed the hell out of that. Finally got to go ahead and finish that one. And then we rewatched the well, I rewatched, she watched for the first time, Wretched. And watching it a second time, there are bits and pieces that I didn't catch on to that were there the whole entire time that I, I'm glad rewatching it kind of changed my my view on some aspects of it. Don't get me wrong, my opinion of it still stay, stays where it was. It's just little things I noticed that I'm kinda of like, hmm, cool. It's a pretty cool movie. I enjoyed it last week. I think it's it stands out in our catalog as better than others. I've been watching, my wife and I have been rewatching some of the Spider-Man movies. So we watched the Sam Raimi trilogy, and then we watched Amazing Spider-Man yesterday. Mm-hmm. Those movies, I mean, Amazing Spider-Man's got issues. I think the biggest issue being that the story itself is kind of weak. It's it feels like they tried to rush a lot of stuff from the first three movies into one so they could tell something new, mm. but it just doesn't really work out. I also don't really like how long they spent on that crane lining up scene. I feel <laughs> like that was for what was supposed to be a climactic moment. It didn't feel like it, it in in defense of that movie, though. It's kind of hard to top the scenes that Sam Raimi got right in the first two Spider-Man. The third one I'm discounting. It's it's not a good movie. But in the the first two movies, especially the second movie, when he saves that subway car full of people and then collapses and they pass him on, you know, over his head, you know, and they're like, oh, he's just a kid and all this shit, right? That is a great way to show New Yorkers or people of any city, but obviously in this case, New Yorkers coming around to their hero and rallying around him. They kind of did the same thing in the first one when people start throwing stuff at the Green Goblin when he's attacking Spider-Man because he's holding onto that bus full of kids or tram full of kids or whatever. And, you know, they start, they're like, hey, you mess with me, you mess, you mess with him, you mess with all of us, blah, blah, blah. The way they did it in Amazing Spider-Man with the cranes, it didn't have the same impact or oomph, and it didn't give me the same feelings. I kind of was just like, can we just, can we just hurry the fuck up, you know? <laughs> I also think they let Uncle Ben live too long. They, I think the best way to kill Uncle Ben, if you're going to do it, is give us anybody going into a Spider-Man movie knows Uncle Ben's going to die. There's 0% chance Uncle Ben lives. I think maybe in some alternative universe he does. But if we're watching the movies, we're watching the main storyline, Uncle Ben dies. That's just a thing that happens. So don't take an hour to do it. Take 
10, maybe 15 minutes. We don't need a ton of character because we get it. He's the father that they never got from or father that Peter never got. He is the man of the house. He's the provider for aunt may. He is a wise man and a good man. It's all given to us in moments. It doesn't take long to figure out. And then he dies because of course he does, because that is what has to happen. To Uncle Ben, you can't have a rice empire and not make some enemies. So it's just one of those things that I wish had happened a little faster. That movie could have been tighter. And I think people would have gotten, would have liked it more. And I say that I looked it up. It did well at the box office. It's not like it wasn't like a smash smash, but it did well. I think the other, both Spider-Man three and the amazing Spider-Man two, which I don't recall if I've seen, but I feel like I've seen at least part of, they suffer from the same problem. Quick tangent. I read an article years ago. I cannot remember who wrote it. So if that person happens to randomly be one of the 20 people who listen to us every week, please shout out. But they wrote an article about, they were writing about Jack Nicholson and they were talking about how he was the best villain the original Batman run ever had. His Joker was so good that they started having to add more villains every time just to match this one performance. So in Batman Returns, you get Catwoman and Penguin. Catwoman's kind of like, you know, 50-50 villain helper. Then in the, the third one, Batman again. I don't remember what the hell it's called. But you get Jim Carrey and what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones playing Two-Face and the Riddler. Mm-hmm. That one's all right. That's Val Kilmer Batman. And then the next one, you have George Clooney and you have Robin and you have Batgirl and you have Poison Ivy and you have bane and you have what's his face mr freeze arnold schwarzenegger best best arnold schwarzenegger role that was in a starring movie for him everybody chill but the or i guess says everybody freeze huh and then he says chill out but whatever but yeah and so i think the spider-man movies what you see is a fantastic performance from willem dafoe as the green goblin and then you see a great performance from Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Both of those mm-hmm. villains were really well done. And Spider-Man had two very different sets of problems. In the first one, he not only has to deal with the death of his uncle and learn about his powers, but also deal with the guilt that he caused his uncle's death. And he has to fight his best friend's dad. Yeah. Then in the second one, he has to not only tell his aunt about you know, well, it's kind of my fault that Uncle Ben died and deal with that fallout. He also has to figure out how to make a living. He's living in the most rundown apartment I've ever seen. And he also has to make his not relationship with MJ work, like friendship, but not like in love, et cetera, type thing. And then he also has to fight his fucking hero, right? This guy is a guy he wanted to do a paper on. And he basically, you know, ends up having to fight him because this dude is gone crazy because he, I don't know, he put one little chip on his robot arms. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I know that in Amazing Spider-Man 2, there's like four villains. I think there's Green Goblin again, there's Rhino, there's Electro, and I feel like somebody else shows up. And I think you can kind of track a movie franchise in terms of like the individual hero movie franchises by how many villains they have, how bad of a movie it's going to be. It's not like a one-to-one correlation. And obviously when you start doing the cinematic universe thing, it kind of falls apart because Thanos is obviously a standout villain and there's like 72 heroes against him. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite one-to-one, but yeah, the old adage of the quality of your villain equals the quality of your movie is, or the quality of your story, I guess doesn't have to be a movie is definitely on display in the Spider-Man and Batman movies. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that it would be great if they did a Spider-Man where 
uh, Uncle Ben doesn't die. It's uh, Aunt May that dies. They should do one where Peter Parker dies. That'd be, well, you know, go to the Twist. comics. Go to the comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in one of the timelines, like Gwen Stacy becomes Spider-Man or something like that. Yeah. More than likely. Anyway, we should probably talk about this movie. <laughs> we can do that. All right. This week we're talking about 2018's How It Ends on Netflix, rated TVMA. In the midst of an apocalypse, a man struggles to reach his pregnant wife, who is thousands of miles away. Starring Theo James as Will, Forrest Whitaker as Tom, Kat Graham as Samantha, Nicole Ann Parker as Meg, and Grace Dove as Ricky. Will, played by Theo James, and Samantha, played by Kat Graham, are a young couple expecting their first child. Will flies from Seattle to visit her parents in Chicago, intending to ask her father, Tom, played by Forrest Whitaker, for permission to marry Sam. At dinner, he and Tom get no argument, and Will leaves without mentioning the pregnancy or wedding. The next day, Sam calls Will before his flight back. She gets scared when she hears a strange sound and says, something's wrong, before the line goes dead. At the airport, all flights are canceled. There is a TV news reporter discussing preliminary reports on a seismic event off the west coast of the U.S. that has disrupted electrical power and telecommunication. Will returns to Sam's parents, where Tom and Will agree to drive together to Seattle to find Sam. And that is where we start our true journey. I liked a lot of parts of this movie very early on when Tom and Will do start their their journey across America. There is a shot from basically from the middle passenger seat over their shoulders and out the windshield as the light gets brighter as they emerge into the day from this parking garage. At first I thought it was a weird shot to show, but they actually went back to that shot several times, not that specific shot, but that angle, I guess, and showed us many POV scenes kind of over their shoulders out the back seat. And I think that adds a kind of a nice element of calm in what would otherwise be a really stressful situation. It's a way not for them to calm down. Obviously they don't see it from their point of view, but it's a way for us, the viewers to kind of relax ourselves. We've all been in that situation sitting in the middle of a car. Just, I can't believe we're still in Kansas type thing. Yeah. I also think that it allows for us to see the scenery change as the the days tick by on the, the top left. I think it was the top left. I don't remember. They kept track of how many days it took. But every time it came back to that shot, we could go ahead and see a little bit more of like what they what they were seeing. Kind of sad that they didn't run into a horse talking about the about the apocalypse because the horse could have told them that the end is nay. <laughs> this isn't me with fifty something apocalypse puns held open for me to go ahead and talk about at some point. Oh boy! <laughs> Guess I'm doing a lot of editing this week. <laughs> No, so one of the things I, I will say right off the bat, one of the things I noticed because I wasn't sure if they, had, I thought they said O'Hare, but I wasn't a hundred percent. So originally, I thought that maybe they were in New York, but once you started seeing the scenery, you find out, you know, well, they're clearly already in the Midwest, so you must have said O'Hare. It must have been Chicago. It's while it's a long drive, it's only thirty-one hours driving from Chicago to Seattle. So the fact that it, they were day four and they were still out in the plains of like Montana on the far side of the state, I was like, "What? The, how slow are you guys driving?" Especially because they talk about driving in shifts, and so my thought is like, "You guys should have been there two days ago." I get getting held up at one point. It looks like. I wasn't sure where that bridge was supposed to be where they got attacked, but it kind of looked like it might be in eastern Washington or maybe maybe they came up from the south and went in through Seattle or through Portland and came yeah. up I-5. 
But yeah, it's very, very strange Weird. that they didn't make it in time. The other thing that I didn't like that bothered me right away is they reach a military blockade, which I'm absolutely fine with. That makes total sense that the military would blockade the interstates because of course they would, because interstates were built for military to use. But there are other major cities on I-90 West that or I-45 West that are not Seattle. So the military would have blockades there too. And we never see them run into a single one of them. I'm pretty sure that like Madison is right near there. So it's one of those things where I was expecting to find more military involvement in this. We see signs of the military. We see an overturned convoy on a train. We see a helicopter that has crashed. Those are not explained, but we, we get signs that the military has been around. It's just one of those things where I don't understand why we didn't see more checkpoints. It's not like there aren't military bases in every state or military presidents in every state for them to play. It's not like the National Guard doesn't exist. So yeah. I, I didn't really understand why it was that we didn't see more of them. I would have been fine with it if they hadn't shown us in the first place. And I don't think Tom was going to be able to be like, guys, 20 years on the Marines, like every time. So yeah, well, no. Yeah, and I think that the reason why it doesn't make sense is where my assumption with the way that I don't remember what the guy's name is, but near the end, the guy who's got the conspiracy theory bullshit. Uh, oh, my like assumption. Jake or John or something. Yeah, he's barely a character. He's in the movie yeah, for like three minutes. He's there to go ahead and make weird eyes at our main character, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And oh, and take a bullet to the to the chest. I would go ahead and make the leap that. It's supposed to be a conspiracy theory that the military is trying to stop people from entering a certain area for whatever reason. So if they can go ahead and showcase that humans can be driven to go ahead and ruin everybody's lives or something like that so they can be controlled by the government or some bullshit to go ahead and establish the new world order. That would be my assumption. And I am really reaching for this, honestly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I feel like you kind of have to though because it's just not provided as to exactly. why they would not do that. Well, because when I was in, we would go ahead and practice for needing to go offer aid to certain places, especially because Katrina had happened before I got into the military. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of on high alert of like, hey, these sort of things kind of happen, so we got to go ahead and be prepared to go in to rescue people that are underneath rubble to go ahead and offer water to go feed people give them blankets that sort of stuff so yeah Mm -hmm. we would the military would have been in i'm saying we i'm still in the military would have been all over the damn place and honestly tom going oh i've been in the i was in the marines for 20 years that sergeant would have been like cool you were in you're not in yeah for you and I can, I guess I can understand the idea that maybe we're supposed to believe that Tom has this charm about him where he can just kind of talk people and that stuff, but it's not displayed anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I do think I should know, Forrest Whitaker is the high point of this movie. Tom yeah, is, is a great character. Forrest Whitaker is obviously a fantastic actor. He plays him well. That's nothing against Theo James. I was actually expecting to really dislike Will, but he grew on me the same way he grew on Tom. But yeah, the movie does feel like the last, what, 20, 25 minutes of the movie... Tom dies and so Will is kind of 
on his own and then he meets another family and then he finally reconnects with Sam. But for a little while there, he has to, he has to carry the end of the movie and yeah. it feels not quite as good. And I think that's a little bit unfair. Like I said, Forrest Whitaker is a fantastic actor, but it is, it is weird that this character is portrayed as like gruff and kind of unlikable. Unless you're one of those people, I'm an honest man's man who does man's man's thing. So the fact that the sergeant is just like, all right, fine. It's kind of, it's weird to me. I thought that was going to be a a time where Will demonstrated value as a lawyer being like, Hey, you know, I know how to talk to people, but instead he just sits there like, Oh, good job, Tom. Yeah. You're just like, thanks, Theo. (laughs) Considering the, I think it's the next stop. They're dealing with the sheriff. that's like, nobody is coming in here. And Will goes ahead and talks him into it. That would have been perfect, a perfect lead into that show that, that, Will can go ahead and be like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not going through. We had the next turnoff. That's where our house is. That's we're mm-hmm. just going there to go collect some stuff. And then we're going we're going to come right back around something like that. Mm-hmm. I could see the military going ahead and being like, all right, fine, go. Yeah. What I mean, being fair, there's probably maybe a thousand troops there for what I would assume would be a million plus people trying to leave mm-hmm. Chicago. So it is it, it would make sense in that case to be like, if I don't have time to fight with every civilian, just go, just go, just go. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. I could, yeah, like, yeah. Will, I mean, when they're at that sheriff place, Will doesn't actually like, talk their way in. He tells the truth. We know people in this town. The lady runs the pottery shop. The guy's name is this. I can never remember the name of the pottery shop. And then the sheriff's finally like, okay, fine. Yeah. But that was one of those things. So that was actually the first place where I started getting real. Well, it's not the first place, but this is a problem I have with almost all apocalyptic fiction like this. I. I'm not going to argue that society wouldn't collapse eventually, but it is incredibly cynical to assume that the power goes out across the nation for two days and we have devolved into a Lord of the Flies. By the time we get to day six, there are blockades on bridges. Everybody is shooting everybody on the road. The interstate is a madhouse. It is way too fast. I promise you filmmakers and people listening out there that long before electricity existed, this country existed and we were just fine. Rural communities existed with, with minimal law and we were just fine. And I don't like how often it's shown that all it's going to take is one little thing, one thing that we think is game changing to disappear and the world collapses. I'm not saying a world in which we could never turn the power back on would be somehow better or anything like that obviously as somebody who's running podcast it's it's necessary for us to have electricity but i also think that movies like this and others and shows like this tend to equate like oh the internet's out so everybody goes bananas oh power's gone everybody goes apeshit oh we just heard that the president and all 13 of the cabinet members died everybody goes bananas that's not how it would work even in the rhetoric of a certain sect of the population in which they compare police to the biggest gangs where are the police right if they really are the biggest gangs there would be some presence because they would want a piece of this action the the world they construct here is a world that is scary if you cherry pick certain examples of things that might happen yeah but none of this would happen in six days when they get to seattle and everything's desolated and there's nobody there sure that could have happened instantly, and I totally believe that we could fully evacuate a city in six days. And after COVID, I fully believe there'd be at least four people standing there like, nothing happened! And you just be like, oh, okay. And they're like, it's a conspiracy! But 
it's just overly cynical. When you see it in Fallout, it kind of makes sense. It's been 200 years and nobody's come back and the world has changed forever. But that is a large-scale multi-nuclear missile war happening. We assume around the world. I guess the Fallout series has never shown you anywhere but the U.S. So maybe China is perfectly fine, but I, I, I don't know. But yeah, this is this is literally over the course of less than a week. And yeah. they're saying that society collapses into this feral thing. And it's a very cynical take on human nature. It's based on some old philosophy from Thomas Hobbes. It is not something I agree with. And I hate seeing it depicted in media like this. Because in my opinion, while people are shitty at times and can be shitty a lot of the times, in crises, people tend to come together. Human beings are a social species we survive by the ability to communicate with others in our quote-unquote pack which is humans and that being the case it's very it's very unlikely that we're just going to immediately devolve into stabbing and killing each other it's it's a similar issue i have with the purge it's not quite the same thing but it is close to it so bringing back my katrina argument from earlier Mm -hmm. i think that that right there proves the point because katrina happened and the country came together to go help out. 9-11 happened. The country came together and helped out. When something like this goes ahead and happens, people from other states go to that state, go to that city, go to that, that catastrophe area, and we help out. We tend to go ahead and pull people out of the rubble. We bring them water. We bring them food. I'm not saying that we do it long term. We tend to triage and then kind of move on. Right. But we do tend to go ahead and gather and help out for a couple of months try and help people get back on their feet for a little bit we could do a little bit more we could do a little bit better but we definitely don't just like oh we got to go ahead and shit on everybody's pillow and make sure that they all fucking eat it (laughs) yeah what i mean like how many times have you seen people from across the globe pull together for some global catastrophe, right? Whether it's famine relief in a country or it's tsunami relief, et cetera. We see that. And I doubt Americans are the top donators. Maybe they are. I don't know, but it's still proof that humans care about other humans and that there is a large subset of people who will actually help out in these sort of situations. And that makes me, like I said, it is an overly cynical way to think about, society it makes me wonder if the filmmakers are trying to make some sort of point like oh we're head- held together by the thinnest of threads and any one little thing it's like no dude we elected a wannabe dictator we overall came out okay yeah you know we have had multiple tragedies in this country so i guess the thing for me is like would these writers then expect if there is a school shooting in a given town which hooray america we get to talk about that but if there is a school shooting or a mass shooting in a given town when that happens and all the police and firemen go to deal with the situation does everybody start looting all the stores because oh the law's not here to keep us in order like no that's that's not what fucking happens yeah i feel like the writers had a plan they they started working it out everybody started going ahead and filming this this movie and like you said up until Forrest Whitaker dies Tom when Tom dies the movie is really like it's a lot stronger up until that point and I think that that last 20 minutes kind of loses it it loses grip on what it's trying to get get how it ends is really just a shitty way on how it ends because I mean it just felt like it just ended and I'm kind of not happy with that. I think that they could have ended it a little bit smoother and a little bit more cohesively because having them just drive away from a massive 
corruption, Cloud. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they don't even explain what that is. We're left to go ahead and decide what it is. It's a nuclear eruption of a volcano or some shit like that. Fucking zombie plague in smoke form or some shit. I, I don't know. One way or the other. I think that they they had this idea that they put it into works so that they didn't really flush out the last 20 minutes because that last 20 minutes was missing something. I actually completely agree. I think that they could have ended the movie with Sam and Will being reunited and like just like a big hug and kiss and then fade to black. Yes. It was obvious, I say about halfway through the movie, that we were never going to find out what actually happened in the apocalypse. I think that seeing the streets of Seattle covered in ash and kind of bombed out was enough for us to draw our own conclusions. It was either a gigantic volcanic eruption like we've seen from Mount St. Helens. Or it was some sort of nuclear attack, in which case Will is super dead, by the way, oh, so yeah. just walking around and all that radiation. But, well, I guess everybody in that area would be super dead. You know how windy it gets up here. We're just blowing radiation mm-hmm. all over the country. But the the last 20 minutes where he argues with their neighbor that saved her and then that guy kind of implies, oh, yeah, well, oh, we were going to bone or something like that. I, I don't even know what that guy's deal was. I don't know, but man. that that whole thing was weird. Then his weird, Oh, I'm a software developer. I've seen the war games. I'm like, really? I know lots of software developers. They might've watched the movie war games, but they certainly don't have access to crazy government documents unless that's what you work for. But that's my point right there. He comes out of nowhere and says some shit that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. And then he just exists for two more minutes to get shot. Yeah. And it it doesn't make, yeah. The reason being like, nobody's going to get my girl. Because Will had one round. That's probably what it came down to. Yeah. Let's spend that last round. But make sure you shoot that bullet because otherwise we would miss something. I don't know. It, it wasn't It wasn't good. The, the ending really... It's funny that it's called How It Ends because How It Ends ruins this movie. <laughs> this is... And I, like, I, I do think... I think both Ringo and I want to be very clear. It's not the driving away with like kind of like a fade to black. It's the whole thing that happens prior to that. Everything that happens from the moment Sam arrives at that cabinet cabinet cabin and meets up with, or not Sam, but when Will arrives at the cabin and meets up with Sam from that point on, everything that happens in that movie is unnecessary and could have been cut out. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. I would, I would have been perfectly happy with a happy ending because it wasn't going to be a happy ending for Sam. Now yeah. she has to deliver her baby in a world that may not be ready to deliver babies without power. And she might have to go find a nurse or a doctor somewhere. And also her dad died. Yeah. So this is not a everybody wins type thing. So the fact that we had to see extra amount of that is just fucking, I, I was, I was disappointed in the end. I was, I really was. And, I think more people, I, I read a bunch of reviews like, the ending was stupid. I, I got the sense that a lot of them meant the fading out on them driving away from the ash cloud. But it was stupid before that. It was stupid yeah. long before that. It, I think that the ending would have worked if it had been, we'll find Sam, get Sam into his Jeep, and starts driving off. We don't get introduced to some new character that means jack fucking shit. Is mm-hmm. literally nothing. He, he exists for nothing. He doesn't tell us anything that goes into the story. He doesn't add to the story. Nothing. I want to emphasize this. This character is quite literally nothing. He is ha- nothing. Exactly. We'll get Sam into, into the Jeep that's there at that house, and they drive off. They run away from the cloud and then fade to black. You know what? That would have been a better ending. Mm-hmm. 
there's no confusion in between of, oh, maybe the government's playing a war game. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. And I think they even put that guy in there to try to make a similar point to what I said earlier, which is, you know, oh, it attacks humans rationality or something like that. But he didn't stick around long enough to emphasize that point. And it was so badly said that I, I just was like, I dismissed it immediately. This yeah. is useless. He was a useless character. The one character we haven't really talked about is Ricky. Ricky is a character who joins them when their car breaks down and she fixes the radiator for them. And for, I think, $2,000, she agrees to go with them to Seattle because she's going to California anyway. Mm-hmm. I thought her arc was pretty interesting because in the beginning, she's kind of like, oh, you guys listen to music? And everyone's like, shut up. And she's like, <laughs> oh, man. And then as it goes on, she's probably the most realistic character in terms of taking on trauma. Will and Tom seem to be almost immune to the things they're seeing outside. For Tom, maybe it makes sense. We don't know what he did in the Marines, but I assume he's seen some shit. Will Will is a lawyer. Maybe he's seen videos of shit because he's working and, you know, somebody brought a horrible case in. So he's like, oh, man. But... Ricky is a small town mechanic. And so she sees people starving. She sees people desperate on the side of the road, pickups full of dudes with guns, watching everybody as they go into town. And she starts slowly kind of being like, dude, what fucked up world are we in? Then she kind of embraces this idea. Oh, well, I guess this is the new world. I'm going West and the shit's going to happen. And then they have a situation where she has to be the one who shoots somebody. She shoots the tires on a car. The car flips over, catches on fire. Both the guys in the car die. And she freaks out because she just killed two people. Like, understandably so. She's upset. And she just kind of walks off and leaves. And I think that character made the movie more interesting and more bearable. Mm -hmm. Because it is a long movie. I mean, I'm saying long. I think it clocks in just under two hours. But... It feels long because it's a movie about a road trip across the middle of America. And anybody who's driven across the middle of America knows, even if you've been driving for 15 minutes, it feels like you've been driving for four hours because it's flat and awful. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Midwestern fans, but you know it to be true. Search your hearts. (laughs) Something else I want to point out. Apparently their Cadillac is magic. It's invisible. No one can see it until they want to see it. And it can run on any sort of fuel whatsoever, whether that's diesel or whatever kind of gas is in another car. I was thinking, I was like, it's very odd that they grab stuff from the military convoy because most of that stuff uses diesel. Yeah, it all uses diesel. I I thought, yeah, it was weird. And then I suppose there's no harm, like, no, in this situation, it doesn't really matter if you mix leaded and super unleaded and blah, 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 because your engine will probably run. It'll ping a little bit, but you'll be fine. But yeah, I will say the most relatable moment, and I mean, it's not great for me, but when the car finally breaks down on Will and he just pounds the steering wheel yelling, fuck, I have been mm-hmm. there. I have been there 100%. Obviously no apocalypse, but man, those moments where you're like, damn it, car, I needed you to take me 50 more miles. And you're just pounding the wheel like, fuck, <laughs> that is that is very relatable to me. Yeah, I felt that one. That moment was, yeah, I don't really want to have to walk the next what 100 miles to go ahead and get to my wife i'll do it i'm not gonna be happy about it (laughs) she's gonna love this episode (laughs) she's like don't worry you don't have to walk the 12 steps to go to bed you can sit right (laughs) here on the couch uh we have a basement she'll make me go sleep with the dogs that's fair you deserve it (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so overall, I didn't hate this movie, but I wouldn't recommend it. My opinion on it is, if you're going to go ahead and watch this, turn your brain off. Don't think about it critically, otherwise you're going to catch all the tiny little mistakes. And trust me, there are a shit ton of tiny little mistakes that pop up. In fact, actually, you can go ahead and Google how it ends mistakes. There is a page somewhere that pulls up everything. They did some mistakes where they flipped the, the mirror around. Someone's hand is placed wrong. The diesel comment I made was brought up in that. I, I'm just I'm not going to dive into too much more because that'll be another 30 minutes added on to this. But yeah, watch it if you're into apocalypse movies. Otherwise, yeah, it, the ending is going to kill it for you. The ending was horrible. That's my opinion. To find us on the social medias of your choice, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Those are probably the main three. We have a YouTube channel. We have TikTok, so find us there. Please like and subscribe. Leave a review. If you're looking for a prompt to leave a review to, tell us how far you would be willing to drive for your partner in Apocalypse. And is it all the way to Seattle? <laughs> I heard that the inventor of the cough drop died. There'll Uh-oh. be no coffin at his funeral. Uh... <laughs> And on that note, we're out. Bye.